in times of crisis, it's that habit pattern that, that it's going to carry you through. Doing the right thing isn't always easy. And the disciplined individual, they're going to be willing to stand up and say when things aren't right and take action to make them right. Want respect, be consistent. Boy, that really commands a lot of respect. When people know that you can be counted on. There's a series of actions and I need to take those actions regardless of how I feel. You know, when I ran my life on my feelings, uh, it doesn't work out so well. When I was a pilot of a helicopter crew, even though I wasn't the rescue swimmer in the back of the aircraft that was going to have to jump out into the water, you know, to pick someone up or the hoist operator, we knew what everyone else was going to do in certain situations because that's the way it was trained. And we really emphasized that you got to practice the way you're going to play the game. That's true in the military. It's true in sports and it's true in life. If you're a man that controls his own destiny, a man that is always in the pursuit of being better, you are in the right place. You are responsible. You are strong. You are a leader. You are a force for good. Gentlemen, you are the Alpha, and this is the Alpha Quorum. Welcome back to the Alpha Quorum Show. Brad Singletary here. You guys, I'm pretty excited about our guest today, who I'm going to introduce here in just a few moments. But our topic tonight is discipline. I'm joined also by uh, Jimmy Durbin, LCSW. <laughs> I don't think we talked about that in the most recent show where you just recently uh I don't know how, not recently, it's been several months, last year sometime, yeah. fully licensed at the highest level in his profession, clinical social worker. Alcohol and drug clinical too. Oh, you got that as well. Yeah. Okay. So he's got all kind of letters behind his name and uh, he is working in private practice, would you say? Uh, yeah. Do mostly trauma, you know, certified with EMDR and most... Not most, just a large chunk, just human and sex trafficking victims from that. Jimmy's done a lot with the drug courts. He's done all kinds of different programs. I remember having a talk with him one time, asking him to to settle down with all of his little volunteer things that he's doing. And then I asked him to volunteer for my stuff over here. So I'm a little bit Glad of a hypocrite, here. I guess. So I'm super excited about this guest today. So this man is the father of one of my friends and a colleague of mine who's a therapist here in Las Vegas. And he's a retired Coast Guard Rear Admiral currently living in Las Vegas. Prior to his retirement in 2015, he served as the Director of Joint Interagency Task Force South in Key West, Florida, where he directed an international interagency and multi-service coalition effort to combat illicit trafficking throughout a 42 million square mile joint operating area in the Western Hemisphere. His previous flag assignments included Commander, Coast Guard Force Readiness Command, Director of Operations, Coast Guard Atlantic Area, and Commander, Coast Guard 14th District. He was a career aviator with 17 years of operational flying experience on the East Coast West Coast, and Gulf Coast. He had air station command tours in Houston, Texas, and Miami, Florida, where he directed fixed and rotary wing aircraft operations throughout the Southeast United States and the Caribbean, including oversight of the Coast Guard Support Detachment in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. 
Between aviation assignments, he served nine years in program oversight and personnel management duties in Washington, D.C., including service as the Chief of Officer Personnel Management, Deputy Chief of Aviation Forces and Shipboard Helicopter Platform Manager. During these assignments, he directed the shipboard testing of the HH-60J helicopter aboard Coast Guard cutters, participated in the Commission on Roles and Missions of the Armed Forces, and was presented the DOT Secretary's Team Award for his leadership of the Aviation Resource Modeling Team. He received his commission in 1980 following graduation from the Coast Guard Academy. His first assignment was as a deck watch officer and as the operations officer aboard CGC Sweetgum. Following his tour afloat, he attended flight training in Pensacola, Florida in 1982 and was designated as a Coast Guard aviator in 1983. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree with high honors in mathematics from the United States Coast Guard Academy and a Master of Science degree in management from the University of Maryland. He has attended the Asia-Pacific Center for Security Studies in Honolulu and was a member of the U.S. delegation to the Pacific Islands Forum in Cairns, Australia. His military awards include the Defense Superior Service Medal, two Legions of Merit, four Meritorious Service Medals with Operational Device, two Air Medals, two Coast Guard Commendation Medals with Operational Device, the 9-11 medal, and numerous other team, unit, and individual awards. He and his wife have been married for 41 years, and they have two married adult children and three grandchildren. Gentlemen, I'm so pleased to welcome to the Alpha Quorum Show, retired Rear Admiral Stephen Malin. Dude, I am. <laughs> I, I I feel so weird to even say, dude, Admiral. It's just <laughs> yeah. this no, it's is. All, it's okay, Brad. <laughs> man, this is so impressive. Good to be here. I'm so Thank glad you for that. Your service. Yes, I'm so glad to have you here. Like I, I don't think you are the oldest uh, guest that we've had. I, I guess my dad was on the show, and he's so he's 30 years older than me. So he'll be like 77 this year. I know you're not. You're nowhere near there, but you've been retired since uh, 2015. And I was talking to Admiral here about having this show the week before the Super Bowl. So I was thinking, all right, the playoff game this week, next week is the Super Bowl. So maybe we can do it, um, you know, this Sunday. And he says, hey, Brad, it's the Pro Bowl. And it's in (laughs) Vegas. And I thought, you know what, you're either enjoying your retirement very well or you're a huge football fan to be all about the Pro Bowl. So I love that you're a football fan and and love your service to our country. Um, I've done a little research on the Coast Guard, and it's fascinating. Um, a high school football teammate of mine went to the Coast Guard Academy, and as far as I know, he's maybe still a helicopter pilot. So Coast Guard stuff, man. T- just briefly talk about how that's maybe different or unique in general compared to other branches of the military. Um, I, I've done some research, and you have all these. I had to look up what a cutter is. Well, a cutter is just a name for a big ship. You know, okay. it, you know, it could be, you know, most of our, our large cutters are about the size of Navy frigates. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, the Coast Guard, the, the, the most unique thing about the Coast Guard is that we are not only just military, um, which we are, we're, we're a, a part of the armed forces of the United States at all times, but we're also law enforcement. And that's really what the big hook is. And the reason that we're law enforcement is because our roots go back to 1790 
and that's to the Revenue Cutter Service. Um, and it was Alexander Hamilton who was Secretary of the Treasury. So we started off uh, in the Treasury Department, not in the in the War Department, which is now the Defense Department. Yeah, that's so fascinating. 1790. I mean, that's one of the earliest forms of any military type presence, right? I mean, wasn't isn't the one of the longest standing at least that. Uh, in terms of the maritime stuff? We are the longest continuously serving armed force of the United States. Obviously, the Marine Corps and the Navy and the Army were around during the Revolution. Right. But after the War of Independence, they were all disbanded. You know, mm. there, was still, there was still militia, which is, I guess, the, the predecessor to the National Guard. But there wasn't anything. And that's why we were the, the United States was getting kind of abused by pirates and from other countries. And that's why Alexander Hamilton said, you know, hey, we need something in order to be able to collect our tariffs and protect our goods and do those kinds of things. And so the Revenue Cutter Service was formed. That's amazing. So Rear Admiral, that is, as far as, that's like two-star general. Isn't that right? Yeah, 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 the equivalent would be a major general, yes. (laughs) I wow. mean, it's just exciting to me. That that part uh, is just very exciting. I, I feel like I missed something. I, I wanted to serve in the military. My uncle was a major in the Marine Corps. And uh, I always, as a kid, probably from like 12 to maybe 14 or 15, I really thought that's that's something I'd, I wanted to do. I kind of ex- aspired to go into the Naval Academy, but I, I wasn't, had None of the... You lack the discipline. Yes. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly <laughs> was my problem. I, I yeah. lacked the discipline. And so um, when I was looking at guests for this topic, I just thought, here's someone who since, I mean, 19, if you were commissioned in 1980... 1976, I went to the academy. Mm. The United States Coast Guard Academy, that's what, New Jersey? No, it's in New London, Connecticut. Connecticut. But, you know, ironically, you mentioned the Naval Academy. I grew up on the Severn River outside of Annapolis, Ah. which is the river that the Naval Academy is on. And I had an appointment to the Naval Academy. Oh, wow. And then I was an alternate to the Coast Guard Academy. That's how difficult the Coast Guard Academy was to get into. Yeah, researching that, yes. Yeah, I mean... uh, the only school at the time that I went to the Coast Guard Academy that was more selective than the Coast Guard Academy was the Juilliard School of Music. Oh, my goodness. That was the only one. And so, yeah, I had a principal appointment to the Naval Academy and was getting ready to go to Annapolis. And then I, my uh, alternate status changed to a, to a primary appointment. And so I had to turn the Navy down and go to New London. But then I went to flight school with the Navy at Pensacola and, you know, the rest is history. So there's a lot of mixing with these other branches, it seems like. So just to be accepted into the Coast Guard Academy, I think I, I researched today, it's like a 12 or 13% admission rate or something like that. Compared to the applicants, 13% and average ordinary ignoramuses like myself aren't even applying. So high level people are applying to the Coast Guard Academy. And of those 87% aren't, 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 aren't ever admitted. I mean, that's pretty cool. And then, so your degree, I think it was high honors in mathematics. Yeah. And, and after graduation, I never used it. <laughs> well, that I'm sure the whole thing just takes a lot of discipline. So as I was looking for looking at guests for this show, um, I just know that your career, um, you've been retired now since 2015. So what, almost seven years now. Yeah. 
And um, the only way that I believe a person can do anything like this is to have a high level of discipline. So I just wanted to pick your brain. You know, we're not trying to sell guys on the military, the Coast Guard, but just I think you know some things about discipline. And I think you can help the men who listen to our show. By the way, I want to thank you for your support of of what we're doing here. You've listened to a number of our shows and have even uh, Admiral here has contributed to our um, Betterment Scholarship Fund where when men are beginning their careers in some trade or need some tool, uh, we, we've got a little pot of we just have some uh, gift cards. Basically, these are like Visa gift card type things. And the Admiral here made some uh, a pretty sizable, one of the largest contributions to that. And um, we bought some things like a saw for a welder. There's a special saw that you could cut metal. Um, we, we helped a guy get uh, some testing materials for his uh, professional licensing exam. And there may be some others, and I can't remember what those were. But so appreciate your involvement with with this with this group. You know, this we have a Facebook group for those who ha- who aren't familiar. And uh, just really looking forward to what we may learn from you today, sir. So let's start with mindset. You know, if a person wants to be disciplined, what is different about the mindset of the man who wants to be disciplined? Well, I think I think from a from my perspective, discipline is about structure. One of the guys I worked with actually, you know, served. I wouldn't say served under, but Admiral Bill McRaven, he was the commander of Special Ops Command when I was at Joint Interagency Task Force South. And he gave a speech. He's a, he's a UT graduate. Uh, one of my kids lives in Texas, so hook him horns. Um, <laughs> you know, he, in, uh, in 2014, he went, to, um, he went to UT and spoke as the commencement speaker. And he, he gave a talk that says, if you want to change the world, make your bed. And it talks about a number of other things, but it basically mm-hmm. goes back to when he was going through SEAL training in Coronado. And the same thing would apply to most, most aspects of the military. But there are certain things that you have to regularly do within the military. And the reason that they, it's set up that way is so it provides you some discipline. Um, and... and you know, sometimes it's road items. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, how you wear your uniform, how you shine your shoes, different techniques, uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures. But there's certain things that go on, and it provides you a structure that gives you that personal discipline. I would like to like to think that, you know, it's kind of made up of, of four things. And the four things that I think about when I think of discipline is a determination, Mm-hmm. a compassion, an honor, and a courage. And determination, you know, is, you know, no matter how many mistakes you make or how slow your progress, you're still getting further ahead than most other people that aren't even trying, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's kind of that, that structure aspect to it. Um, compassion, certainly. Discipline means to me, you know, you got you to take care of not only yourself, but you got to take care of your team members. You got to take care of others. Uh, as you're going along, I think you have to have a foundation to where you're coming from. And and I think of that as kind of honor, you know, you have a strong moral compass, Mm -hmm. you know, the old, the old saying is, is, um, you know, if you'll stay, you know, if you, if you don't stand for anything, you'll stand for, for everything. 
you got to have something, you know, some kind of a foundation. And the last portion of that is, you know, courage. Doing the right thing isn't always easy. And the disciplined individual, whether it be in sports or whether it be in, you know, in the military or whether it be in life, they're going to be willing to stand up and say when things aren't right and take action to make them right. And I think that's important. You had determination. What was the second one? Compassion. Compassion. That, that's an interesting one. Uh, the third was honor. honor and then courage. Mm. Compassion is interesting because when I, when I walked into the room tonight, uh, the Admiral asked me about how I am doing and, and, and that, that had to do with, you know, some a personal situation that I'm dealing with that's been a little bit difficult. But here's a man who's been all over the world as a commander, as a person in charge of these huge operations. By the way, this joint task thing, I want to maybe hit that again somewhere because that uh, this uh, joint interagency, I think that's a pretty big deal. I want to highlight that a little bit more. But anyway, this guy's been in charge of major, major things and has all kinds of awards, medals, all these accolades and accomplishments and one of the interesting things that I, that I happen to know about this man is his uh, compassion. And uh, I mentioned earlier that his daughter's a, a licensed clinical social worker as well. And maybe she gets some of that from, from you too. So interesting that compassion goes into, is connected to discipline. Jimmy, what do you think of that? Compassion being a, an element here, the Admiral is talking about with uh, discipline, compassion and discipline, how they go together. I mean, he's, we're all human, right? We all want to be seen and heard and known. And I like that, you know, it, it, the ingredients for discipline with the compassion piece, um, it, it's the empathy, you know, as well. I, you can lead from the front or lead from behind. And I think when you have a leader who can meet you where you're at and can bring you into, bring me into existence, I'll talk in first person. Um, I'm interested in that. You know, I'm interested in, in, in what you do and how you're doing it and will want to follow you from that piece. You know, the other, if I'm leading from the front then I'm shouting orders and I'm, there's behavior stuff that I'm trying to do as far as that discipline. But I, I like that compassion piece. The other, the other is the courage piece for me I go right to vulnerability so what underpins courage is vulnerability and then I thought well how does that relate to the military but if I'm showing up and standing up and I'm leading into battle whatever that looks like on whatever front um, the vulnerability piece is that I'm I'm protecting something that I love or, and stand for the, that moral agency and ultimately they can get hurt various degrees. And so there's the vulnerability piece for me. Yeah. The courage is just showing up. I mean, the right. courage is, I'm sure that there have been some dangerous things that you've been involved with Admiral, some things that I can't imagine. It's a little scary to be, I grew up in Florida and I spent a lot of time on boats and man, the water itself, that is a scary element in the, in this, on this earth. I tell you, I've, I've on a small, small scale, nothing like what I think you've seen, I'm sure. But, uh, the water itself is a place that can be scary. 
Our, our colleagues in the other services used to joke with us is that we'll fly when nobody else will. Mm. Um, because, you know, there used to be a saying, and, you know, I, I'm not a proponent of this, and it's, the organization isn't a proponent of this anymore. But when I first started off in the early, you know, in the, in the 70s uh, with the Coast Guard, there was, the saying was, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. Mm. We don't believe that anymore. If we, every, we want everybody to come back. Um, so don't, you know, don't, mm-hmm. you know, get me wrong in that regard, but, you know, we go out in some, especially in the aviation field, you know, try, try flying, try flying in hurricanes when mm-hmm. everybody else is grounded, you know, but we, you know, we go out and we do that. We do it on a, a regular basis. Wow. So determination, compassion, honor, 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 honor and courage. courage. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, you know, that one other thing I, I, I might want to. You know, might want to add with that. Sure. You know, it's it's kind of geared toward discipline and it's repetition. Okay. Um, and and I have a you know I'm a, a kind of a, a fan of Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. And, and Tony Robbins, um, I think said it best. It's not what we do once in a while that shapes our lives, but what we do consistently. And it's that consistency that turns processes, processional activities, into something that's rote and just part of your ethos. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that's discipline as well. It's like, I'm fortunate I've never had, you know, a drug or an alcohol problem, but I know that, you know, folks that have, you know, they have, you know, their process that they follow every day, you know, in order to, you know, get them through that day and to, and to keep them sober, to keep them, you know, drug or alcohol free. And, one day leads to the next day leads to the next day. And it's, and it's that repetition, that discipline, so to speak, that, that gets them to where they need to be and, and to make the, you know, the extraordinary activity of staying sober or staying drug free part of the norm. Mm -hmm. I saw an advertisement. I think it may have been like gold's gym or something that talked about want respect, be consistent. And I thought about that in a couple of places, like think about a church or a gym or something like that. You know, people, new people show up all the time. (laughs) Maybe people aren't that friendly to the guy who's on his first day in the gym or his first day in the church or his first day in the book club or whatever he belongs to. But when you are consistent, boy, that really commands a lot of respect when people know that you can be accounted on. And Jimmy, you talk a lot about, um, a series of habits and things that you do. I I, I wonder since the Admiral mentioned something like that here. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you for that Admiral. Because I, I personally believe that I needed to find a series of actions that I could take on a daily basis, regardless of how I felt to get and stay in recovery, spirituality, work on my marriage, you know, be a good husband, be a good father. Like there's a, there's a series of actions and I need to take those actions regardless of how I feel. You know, when I ran my life on my feelings, uh, it doesn't work out so well. So those aside. And so I, I love that because w- I've been thinking about this all week is kind of preparing, like where's the crossover to from military to recovery from, from the military, you know, into just a normal guy's life. And um, so I appreciated yeah you saying that. Well, I think later on, you know, we may talk a little bit more about this, but, you know, when you, when you talk about that, that day-to-day activity in your life, but it's also, from my perspective, important that in times of crisis, it's, Mm -hmm. it's that habit pattern 
that Absolutely. that it's going to carry you through. And yeah. and and in the military, that's very important. Yeah, that that's yeah, that's a brilliant point. Same thing in recovery. You know, like I need to do my series of actions and and run through that. And whether it means my morning routine and making my bed and brushing my teeth and showering and eating and doing those things into just finding the meetings, knowing where I'm going, building my tribe, having community of men, knowing who's a foxhole buddy that can sit with me and work through things with me. But I need to do all that when I'm not in crisis so that when that floor drops off or there's a a bottom or a, a blip, I already know what to do. Like it's just rote. I was fascinated to, as I'm reading a little bit about the Coast Guard, the motto or what do they call that? The little, the little Latin slogan. Semper paratus, always Semper, ready. Semper paratus. Always prepared. Always ready. I mean, that's cool. That's cool what you're, what you're, what you guys are saying that sometimes the preparation and the discipline way ahead of time, that's necessary when the shit hits the fan. Mm-hmm. you're prepared because you've done these routines, these consistent things, you've been disciplined. You know, when when you go through the divorce, you're in recovery, now you're going through a divorce, you can stay sober because you you have this series of actions. You get into some, you know, conflict situation or some scary mission or operation, but you can handle that because of all the discipline that you've been doing and all the training thus far. Why is discipline such an important part of the the military culture? Military law enforcement, a lot of those types of programs you mentioned Coast Guard is really both of those. Why is discipline such an important piece? Well, I started off, you know, obviously at the academy and then aboard ship, but the majority of my career I spent being in aviation. And in aviation, whether it be military aviation or in commercial aviation, there's a set of procedures. There's whether it be emergency procedures or checklists for just normal start or for engine shutdown. You're going to have these procedures, and there's and you know we used to not joke about it, but we used to say that you know quite honestly, especially when it came to emergency procedures, a lot of those things are written in blood. Mm. Um, the reason those steps are there in those procedures is because someone didn't have that step in that procedure, mm. and as a result of that. It, they, they didn't get out of it. When I was thinking about this, um, you know, the, uh, the, this podcast, I thought a little bit about that and thought about Captain Schellenberger, you know, old Sully. Sully, Sully yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sully Schellenberger, the U.S. Air flight that went into the uh, Hudson River. Mm-hmm. When he had that, that supposedly impossible to have double engine failure, he actually broke checklist. And had he not broke checklist, they would not have survived because the first thing he did, you know, in addition to, you know, getting the, the first officer trying to, you know, start running through the checklist, turn it, you know, turning toward where can they, where can they get to um, and realizing they couldn't get back to LaGuardia. They couldn't make it over to Teterboro. They were going to end up having to land in the Hudson. He turned his APU on and the APU and aviation in an aircraft is an auxiliary power unit. Mm. And what that does is that gives you power to your hydraulics when your engine shut down. And if he hadn't had power to his hydraulics, he would have never been able to safely land that aircraft. You know, so that's, you know, that's part of that. Having a process to go through, knowing what systems are, how they work, not just treating it, well, uh, this, the, the checklist says to do X or the procedure says to do Y, you know, and, and 
and people not even realizing why it is they're doing what they're doing. I see that a lot, even in, you know, out in, out in the community here in Las Vegas, um, you can go to a store and, you know, people will punch a button on a, on a cash register or a screen or whatever it might be. And they really don't know what it is they're, you know, why it is they're doing what they're doing. They just know that they've been told to do it that way. You know, so discipline's important. Absolutely. No question about it. But you also have to know why it is you're doing what it is you're doing and what, what the impact is of, of those actions. Wow, that's fascinating to kind of have a big picture view of things. I did some training, uh, the the author or authors of the book, The Oz Principle, I think it was called. They came and they did some training on accountability, and they talked about most companies, most organizations have no idea. That the, the, the staff have no idea what they're doing. They don't even know what the goals are and what the objectives are. And and so those are some great points. Um so what kind of routines help military personnel develop, maintain discipline? Um, you talked about, you know, making your bed and there's a whole series of things, <laughs> but from the beginning, I mean, maybe go back to your days in the Academy or what is the daily, what are the daily, what are the daily things that matter? Uh, you mentioned even dress and hygiene and all that. What, give well, us some specifics. Well, the, fir- the first thing that's going to happen in any military structure, we've probably all seen movies, you know, that, uh, have someone that's, you know, going, going through, you know, whether it be Paris Island with the Marine Corps or some other, you know, some other kind of boot camp, you know, Hacksaw Ridge, you know, showed, you know, showed it during World War II, um, you know, boot camp in, in, uh, I think it was in you know, Mississippi, you know, it's important in the military structure. What they'll do is they actually break you down. Mm-hmm. Um, they get rid of all, hopefully all of your bad habits. They get everybody operating from the, the same, level of activity, the same level of, of, you know, of, of cognizance, you know, they're all thinking the same way. And then they start building you back up. And the reason they build you back up that way is because they really want to emphasize, you know, that no man is an Island, you know, that, that you absolutely in the military depend on your teammates on your, you know, whether it's your, the members of your squad, the member of your aircraft, you know, your aircraft crew, um, the member of your ship, whatever it might be. Everyone plays an integral role, just the same as, you know, as you know, Brad, I'm a, I'm a big Golden Knights fan. Right. You know, and, um, go you know, Knights go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, ho- hockey is a big thing for me. And there is absolutely no way, except for maybe in a shootout when it's one on one against the goalie, that you're going to win the game by yourself. It's a team sport. This isn't golf where, you know, you have the discipline of, you know, hitting, hundreds of thousands of golf balls and sinking, you know, probably just as many putts on the practice green, you know, and certainly that takes a lot of discipline too, but in the military, it's, it's not individual discipline, it's team discipline. And it's important to have everybody thinking to some extent. I mean, obviously we're not all robots, right. You know, but, but to a certain extent, you know, thinking the same way I I flew both helicopters and airplanes when I was uh, a pilot of a helicopter crew, even though I wasn't the rescue swimmer in the back of the aircraft that was going to have to jump out into the water, you know, to pick someone up or the hoist operator, um, or, you know, whether I was the pilot or the, the co-pilot at that, at that point in time, we knew what everyone else was going to do in certain situations because that's the way it was trained. And we really emphasized that you got to practice the way you're going to play the game. That's true in the military. 
it's true true in sports and it's true in life. So you mentioned boot camp. So how does boot camp connect to discipline, right? So it's a breaking down. Here, because here's what I'm hearing you say: I got to know my strengths and my weaknesses. Like I need to get down just to the basics. And whether it's in boot camp, you know, I need to, in order to be disciplined, know what my strengths are and know what my weaknesses are so that I can just take an honest inventory and know what, what the stock is. I imagine that's the same with boot camp, like breaking a man down and finding out where his strengths and weaknesses are. I think so. Sure. I think it's important. You know, boot camp does a number of things. Certainly it, it's going to get you physically in shape. You know, whether it be, you know, boot camp in the enlisted ranks or whether it be officer candidate school or academy, whatever it might be, you're accessioning, uh, you're a session source, but it's going to get you physically. But even more important than that, and, you know, I mentioned that, uh, you know, earlier on in our discussion about Bill McRaven's talk, when, when you go through BUDS, which is the early portion of SEAL training, and, you know, there's been Coast Guard members that have gone through SEAL training as well as Navy and Marine Corps members. Um, it's not the biggest, the baddest that it's going to get through the program because it's that mental aspect that gets you through the tough times. And it's that mental discipline that the military tries to instill in its members, um, to be able to get them, you know, through the tough times. Now, certainly there's going to be times where, a platoon commander or a company commander is going to have to give an order that's going to put people in harm's way. And you have to realize, you know, that, you know, somebody, you know, might not come back from that, but it's important that they will respond because it may ultimately result in the greater good because they'll be able to successfully accomplish the mission even though there might be some casualties by taking action X, but if they didn't carry out that action, there might be significantly greater, a significantly greater number of casualties that go along. Now the military certainly has, you know, one other piece and it's a little bit different than some civilian life. And that's the uniform code of military justice. Mm. Um, the UCMJ is kind of like our law book. It's, it's the, uh, the, the rules that we follow, the, the punishment, so to speak, for not following those rules. And it's much more, maybe I should say it's much less forgiving than the civilian legal system because it carries things all the way down to the level of, I give you an order and, you fit, and I'm in a position of authority and you fail to follow that order. There are direct consequences for that um, or could be direct consequences for that that could range from, you know, um, uh, it's a, a limited amount of taking away of your liberty up to and including, you know, uh, in, in a combat situation, you know, someone runs away, you know, under fire. I mean, that could be a, a capital offense. It's so it's, you know, it, it's pretty uh, far reaching. What are some of the failures of the typical man in terms of discipline? And both of you guys chime in on this. What are some of the typical failures of the average guy that if he adopted some of the military type of thinking in his world could help him. Um, one of the things that I think I see in myself and the men that I work with is things even like when you wake up and how you go to sleep. I mean, control and discipline is 
there's value in everything. I remember talking to a Navy SEAL one time, and he talked about the need to control his bowels. <laughs> and I thought, or or not or not kill that mosquito, you mm-hmm. know, when you have to keep absolute silence in a yeah, in a, like in an ambush situation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and I and I thought, and of course, the my Freudian training kind of came to like, yeah, you got to control your bowels. You know, he he decides when he goes to the bathroom. <laughs> And I thought that makes a lot of sense. You got to, you got to decide if it's time to, if it's time to poop or get off the pot or whatever. Impulse control. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Ultimate. But then I remember even from like Stephen Covey, you know, he talked about, you want to be disciplined, wake up at the same time every single day. Yeah. And I think he actually mentioned, or his example was that he gets up at five fifty-five every day. So from beginning of the day to the end of the day, throughout a person's tenure, I guess you call it, in, in a service-type organization or military. What kinds of things? We're talking about uniform, grooming, uh, their scheduling. What kinds of um, routines help these personnel develop discipline? You know, when I think about it, I kind of break it down again into, into four areas. Okay. Um, and the four ar- areas I, th- I, I think about is personal self-control and structure. Okay. And we talked a little bit about structure earlier on, but, and you, you mentioned with the controlling your bowels with the personal self-control, mm-hmm. I think a fiscal discipline. Okay, sure. And in the civilian world, a lot of times, you know, people will, you know, for lack of a better term, carpe diem, live for the day. Right. You know, they aren't really disciplined enough to plan for the future. Emotional discipline. Um, and, and I describe that as, you know, it's all about meism. Um, mm. it, it's not about a greater good. And quite honestly, in my opinion, I think we have a bit of a problem with that as a society. Yes, we um, do. You know, because a lot of it is, it's all about me. It's really not about the, you know, the greater good and sacrificing a little bit. And, you know, I think we all as men can try to, you know, lead the tribe or lead the family in order to, to make them realize, especially our kids and our grandkids, you know, to, to think a little bit outside themselves and to think, think a little bit about the, the greater good. Um, the last thing I think about is procrastination. Mm. Um, you know, and mil- the military doesn't really let you procrastinate, you know, because there are, you know, especially like in, in boot camp or the academy or something like that, there are formations, there are, you know, checks that you will be here at this time and you will do this and you will do this other thing. When I was in flight school, there was a, and kind of a cross between procrastination and fiscal. There was an organization um, that was talking about trying to make service members a bit more fiscally responsible. And one of the things that people always say is, you know, I will really, would really like to do that, but I never seem to get around to it. And so you know, we went to this, this dinner and we got a presentation. Um, and then we, you know, we actually went off and had the dinner. And when we came back on everyone's seat, there was a little round circular wood coin and written on it was T O I T so that everybody got around to it. Got around to it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, talking about the fiscal like uh, discipline, I, I think I read that one of the there's a lot of reasons why like Coast Guard Academy is so difficult, but one of the things they do as different from others maybe is they do a credit check. <laughs> they check it like literally that's a, you know, that maybe is an indicator of your sense of like discipline. And, um, you know, you can at least nowadays, I mean, I guess you went 45 years ago or whatever. Uh, 
Well, they, they, they actually do that as part of any kind of a security. Oh, uh, yeah, security, a security clearance background. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. That, you know, they want to make sure that you're, that you're not in a situation where you could be leveraged, uh, against, uh, classified material or, you know, sensitive information. Mm. And so there's, there, you know, you know, just the same reason as if you've got a really bad credit score, um, your car insurance might be higher because you're, you're statistically, you, you are more of a risk. And so that's why they look at those things along with lots of other things. Man, when I think about, you know, the uniformity and so forth, when it comes to military stuff, think about what it looks like when you see, when I see though, you know, if I've ever seen like those red helicopters or these, I guess they're called cutters, you know, if you see the red and white, you know, you, or if you, in any, from any branch, you see someone, any kind of display or any presence of any, you know, military law enforcement is the same. There is, I don't care who you are. If you see that you, there is automatic respect because there's probably some fear because <laughs> you know that these folks can get you. <laughs> they, they, and, and I think the reason for some of that respect is, you know, that they are disciplined you know that these are highly trained professionals, highly trained warriors, highly trained officers, highly trained technicians, highly trained, and that they are very, very disciplined. So does that make sense? There's a respect for that, and I think it's because of the discipline. It's all of the equipment is shiny. Everyone is dressed well. Everyone is looks sharp. They, have, they understand their equipment. There's so much discipline. I think that's what makes us in awe it, from little boys. I, my five, my six year old, he's telling me every day he talks about, he's going to be in the army. He's going to be in the army. And his mom's terrified of that. But I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is great. Look, he's got all these little soldiers and he plays with them every single day. And he, and he talks about, you know, how old do I have to be <laughs> just at random times? And I'm <laughs> proud of this. I'm like, yes, he wants to, he wants to serve. But I think something that he craves is discipline. Anyway, I'm just so fascinated by the culture of discipline that shows up in, um, in our military. So what kind of discipline might the average guy be lacking? Ordinary dude. Our average listener is a 38 to 45 year old dad, you know, and he's working and he has a decent income and he's a pretty solid guy in, in most ways, but how's the average guy lacking in discipline? Would you say? Well, some guys aren't. Um, okay. You know, some, you know, I've, some of, some of the most disciplined people I've met, you know, are not people, not people that were in the military. I mean, but, you know, just like any other community or like any community, uh, there's going to be uh, people that are more disciplined and some other people that are a little bit less disciplined. Um, by and large, I think, I, I think it comes back to structure. You know, okay. I, I, th I think it's, you know, you know, I, I used to say to people, you know, when I was, you know, coming up through the military, you either have a plan or you're part of somebody else's. Mm. And if you, if you have a plan and whether that plan be, um, for how you're going to be successful in business, successful in the military, financially successful, if it's your plan, you know, that it's going to be focused toward your success, whether or not you have a plan or not you're going to be part of somebody's plan. Mm. And if it's somebody else's plan, it may not necessarily be to your best interest. 
it might not get you where you want to be career wise or financially or emotionally in a, you know, in a marriage, you know, two guys go after the same girl. If he's got a plan and you don't, you, you may never even get off, you know, get a, get away from home plate, mm-hmm. you know, before you strike out, you know, right. and meanwhile, he's hit, you know, you know, he's, he's on the bases and, and, and scoring big. Wow. That's great. What's your plan? I mean, that is a, a good indicator about our level of discipline is first, is there even a, is there even a plan? Jimmy, what do you think? <laughs> what, when, how do most guys fail at discipline or what do you see the typical guy that ones may be listening to this show? Where do they have deficiencies when it comes to discipline? Well, I think as we, you know, I like the structure piece. I'm I'm a process guy. Uh, I think I learned that just growing up emotionally in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know those those twelve steps. So, um, I think the first thing for me is to know my strengths and weaknesses, right? Um, that I remove any temptation. So whatever my obstacle is, whatever it is, I want to work on, and I need that discipline. I need to know what my strengths are, know what my weaknesses are, remove any obstacles. Um, so whether that's if I'm trying to not do tobacco or alcohol or s- some other thing or not drink sodas, you know, as I, I won't have them at home. Like I, I set myself up for success. Um, then I agree, like have clear goals and a plan. Um, and I lived a large chunk of my life not having a plan and just floating and not re- being reliable you know which makes me think so about Brene Brown and her braving acronym mm-hmm. boundaries R is reliability to me reliability and and discipline are connected um, if I want to have a be in a meaningful relationship with whoever in my life part of that is that I have trust so if I need to establish trust and the anatomy of trust is these boundaries, liabilities, accountability, the vault, integrity, non-judgmental, and generosity. Um, that I need to have. I need to be able to show up. And do I have a plan? And do I? Am I reliable and accountable to that plan? Um, yeah. If there's no plan, you're going to crash. Oh yeah. <laughs> if there's no plan, you're going to get lost. You're going to you're going to fail in some way if you don't even have a direction. I mean, I'm okay even if I'm. S- part of someone else's plan it's when there is no <laughs> there is no plan i i get myself in trouble that's it that's a cool thing when i think about military stuff if you see a helicopter or a jet or a boat in the water they're going somewhere <laughs> this they're not just hang running around this is there is a purpose even if it's training hopefully when we see that it's only just training and not <laughs> some crazy thing going on but there's a reason for their being in the sky, there's a reason, right? There's never not a purpose. What's the difference between someone who actually makes it through boot camp and someone who doesn't as it relates to discipline? Now, the major- majority of the time, it's all, all psychological. Yeah. You know, people, people that have the will to get to survive, the will to get through, will get through. People that give up, you know, and, and quite honestly, a lot of times – the different branches of the service and, and it's certainly different specialty programs within the services, you know, are, are looking just for that. You know, uh, it's, it's especially noticeable in, in, 
you know, the, the high, extremely high performing, um, specialties, aviation is one, something like SEAL training is another, you know, green berets in the army, those kinds of things, the special force, uh, force warriors. They're looking for people that are going to, in SEALs, ring the bell and they're, and they're going to tap out. And generally it has to do with, you know, the, the psychological aspect, very rarely is it the physiological. I mean, if you get hurt and you can't complete the training, generally they'll, they'll, they'll retread you, they'll send you back through and you, and you can go do it again. But psychologically you just say, no, I'm not doing that anymore. And, and you go do something else. When an individual is operating at a high level psychologically, right? the tendency is to numb or volume down the emotional piece. Is that true? Maybe that's. No, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know that I would agree with okay. that. Uh, I, th- I think, you know, if they're, if they're operating at a, at a high level, um, you know, they may curb their emotions, but I think their emotions are always there because that's part of their, their psyche. That's part of the psychological piece. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't know that, um, you know, they, they, they don't have, uh, that, that emotional intelligence, so to speak. And, and do you feel like there's different tasks to do for the emotional discipline as well as the physical or psychological discipline, or is that the same tasks, same actions across all three? I, I personally think it's the same. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I wouldn't really differentiate it. Um, you know, others might, but, but for me, and, and that may just be part of, you know, who I am. I mean, it's always, I've always been, you know, focused. I use, I use the analogy that goes all the way back. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie white Christmas, you know, with, uh, uh, Bing Crosby, but at the very, you know, early portion of, of the movie, they're, they're talking about the general who's, you know, been hurt and he's, he's going home. And later on in the movie, you know, you see him, they make a comment about we ate, then he ate, we slept, then he slept. And then no one slept for four days, you know, and that was kind of the joke as they went through in the movie. But the idea being is, you know, part and parcel of leadership is you got to take care of your people and, and, I, th- I think people that have that emotional intelligence as part of their ethos, who they are, uh, I think tend to fare better because, you know, whether it be in the military or whether it be out in business, um, you know, good leaders are good leaders and good leaders take care of their people because, you know, I've, I was talking to somebody just the other day that their organization was having significant retention problems you know, and, and the truth about, you know, management and leadership and in business is people don't leave bad jobs. They leave bad bosses, you know, and, and it's those bad bosses that don't take care of their people mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that give them no incentive to leave because, you know, people will stick around through the tough times and get those bad jobs to become better jobs. Um, if they've got a good boss, if they've got good leadership, that's, you know, that's giving them the knowledge, skills, resources, training, et cetera, that they need in order to be able to be successful in the future. So if some, someone's operating a high level, um, and wants to level up, 
your suggestion as it relates to discipline would be to what? How, how do we help that guy level up, like, as far as what he's doing? Any suggestions or thoughts? I mean, I think about the different levels, like if I'm in boot camp, but now I want to become a Navy SEAL. Both are going to have some discipline, but it seems like someone's going to have to level up. And so for the audience that's out there that's pretty disciplined, maybe, you know, like they're, yeah. how do we, how do they level up? Like, what can they grasp from your lived experience and your wisdom of, if this is where you're at, here's how you level up. And then the other one is someone who doesn't have any discipline. Where do they start? Like, what, what are your suggestions? And I like your framework, you know, those four things. I was just curious as to, like, I'm pretty disciplined, you know, I, but I can always level up. Like, I, there's mediocre in my life. I would think, you know, from my perspective, what what I tend to look at is is those four things. Key among them certainly is is structure. Um, you know, how do how do I do things? When do I do things? Um, in mm. a in a you know, and I guess maybe it's the math major in me in a logical, reasoned fashion in order to accomplish a certain set of goals that I'm looking for. And if you're completely un you know, undisciplined, you know, you, you start off by, you know, in baby steps. We, Brad and I have had this, you know, had a discussion before, you know, Dave Ramsey, fis fiscal discipline, mm -hmm. you know, it's like Dave Ramsey, you know, his whole philosophy is built around the baby steps and you mm -hmm. start at step one and you don't do step two until you're finished step one. You don't do step seven until you've done step six. And the reason that it, that it's done that way is to provide you that structure and it forces that discipline upon you in order to ultimately be successful. I love that. That's, I mean, you're, whenever you're talking steps and numbers, I always have a smile on my face. It's to me the ultimate and the best example of cognitive behavioral therapy. Change my thinking to change my behavior. Um, that structure, you know, that the Dave Ramsey, the 12 steps alcohol Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous of just like, here's how I, I need to create some discipline you know, for me, it's at my bottom, I didn't trust my word. I'm not going to use today. I would use. So there's this constant implosion of not me not trusting my word. Right. And so I think of Don Miguel and the four agreements and be impeccable with my word. And that's where I need to start. And so at the very beginning for me, it was. I'm going to throw trash in the trash can, put the shopping cart away and stand in line and, and do those three things. And then once I did that over a month, I could start to begin to possibly trust my word that if I said something, I would do it. That there, makes yeah, totally makes sense. I think you're, you're, all this is coming together for me. I'm learning from you guys about how to level up. And part of it is do the things that you already know you should do and do them well. Um, Ed Milet, who's a speaker and a, you know, influencer type, he talks about, you got to keep promises to yourself. And if it's putting the shopping cart away or waking up at the same time, brush your damn teeth in the morning, whatever thing that there is. Um, some say how you do anything is how you do everything. Others have argued about that, that that's not true or that that's a, that can create a problem psychologically, but maybe there's some truth to that. Um, I have a client who they're working on the, this couple, they're, they're hoarders. I mean, like the TV show and 
one of the things that I've asked them to do is to clean out their car <laughs> because that's a, you know, that's 12 square feet compared to their large home that's filled with things. And so starting small, taking the step by step, um, I think those things would, would help too. And, and just having a, an objective or a goal, I always, you know, I know there's a whole bunch of definitions of goal, objective, strategy, whatever, but to, to know where it is you're headed and I think I love what you mentioned earlier, Admiral, about the the procedures and some of the checklists and some of those things are written in blood, meaning meaning uh, we know what doesn't work. <laughs> we know where you get into problems. Think about the twelve step program and the reason I'm in the same I'm in AA myself, and I'm not nowhere near along the the way that like Jimmy has done with it, but uh, the amount of time he's had in, but. I hear people say, don't get ahead of yourself. Do the first part and do it well and just take take the steps um, that are necessary. And that's one way to, I think that's one way to level up and, and to get moving. I wanted to go back to what you were saying too about the emotional thing. I'm picturing like, I don't know, a helicopter pilot in a hurricane. And so, yes, you have your, what did you call it? Your structure or your... Uh, you know, the procedural steps and all those things. But man, there's got to be some being tuned into your emotion. You got to be, I guess, aware of fear. You have to understand your frustration level. Um, That's a gauge too. I tell guys all the time, read your gauges, you know, scale of zero to 10. How, how upset are you right now? And so how does that kind of training go into with pilots or, commanding a ship or whatever like how do you how do how do people with these high level responsibilities do not just procedural tasks but also check in with how they're feeling that was a great question you asked jimmy well i think i i guess probably the easiest way to answer that is kind of use an example um many years ago i was involved in a a rescue uh, it was a medevac rescue of someone who had been working in the forests in Oregon. And anyone who knows anything about you know, forestry, a choker chain had slipped and a huge log had rolled them. Oh, boy. And so they were in really bad shape. And the trip by land to get them back to the hospital was going to take hours because of where they were back in the woods by helicopter. If we could get to them, it was going to take less than 15 minutes from the time we actually got them aboard to get them back. The only problem was, is the whole side of the mountain was covered in fog, but we responded and we found an area at near the top, the top of the area where they were, were logging that was open. And, you know, I put down one, you know, I put my crewman down and, put him in the, the vehicles could hear where we were through the fog and got back to, you know, they sent one vehicle back to us and I put my, my crewman in the vehicle and sent him down to the location of where the mishap had taken place. And, and he communicated by radio, you know, if we can get there, can we do anything? Can we get him out? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And we knew that, you know, there was a side of a mountain and we could actually, once we got the guy on board, we could actually go up into the fog away from the side of the mountain. And it was an open area because we knew the ter- what the terrain looked like 
you know, under normal conditions. And so we went there and we got him. Um, and the way we did it was we actually hover taxied following the taillights of the pickup truck through the fog, through the, you know, the 200 foot fir trees of just slightly above them getting on scene. And we eventually picked up the, the injured person, got him on board, got him to the hospital. The, the hop from the hospital back to where our air station was, was probably five minutes. Once he was at the hospital, we went to the air station. Even though we were the crew on duty, I sent my crew home. And I walked in to the operations officer. And I said to the operations officer, I've just sent my crew home. I'm going home. We need to be relieved. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Mm. At the time, as the, as the mission was going on, you don't let those kinds of things, you know, get to, you know, impact the mission because you go on training. You know, this is, you, you know how to do X, Y, and Z and you execute X, Y, and Z in a safe fashion. And you kind of compartmentalize that emotion. But once the, the emotional situation was over, they weren't going to be any good to the unit for the rest of the day until they got to decompress. I wasn't going to be any good to the unit for the rest of the day until I got to decompress. And having good bosses, my boss knew that, you know what? He, he just looked at me and he said, go home. You know, I've got it, you know, you know, whether it's going to be me that flies the next time the, you know, the alarm goes off or somebody, you know, I get, get another crew. And it was during the daytime at this point. So there were other crews available, but he, he realized, and he was a good boss too. So, you know, good leadership skills. And so, so we went home, but, but yeah, you, you do have that emotion that creeps in, but, you know, in, in the, in the throes of battle, so to speak, you compartmentalize an awful lot of that. Um, and it's usually after the fact. And, and you see that a lot, you know, even nowadays if, as guys who have been, you know, over during Iraqi freedom, enduring freedom, um, the first Gulf War, the second Gulf War, Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera, you know, where they've, you know, they, during the throes of battle, executed the mission, did their job. But now a lot of those guys are, are, and some of them, even today, you know, the Vietnam vets, some of them today are still struggling with, you know, PTSD because of things they did and things they, you know, they saw and things they had to do in order to execute the mission. But at the time they, they, they did their job, they did it well, um, and they compartmentalized that emotion in order to accomplish the greater good, I guess, for lack of a better term. So in that example, where someone is still struggling with, as you said, the PTSD versus the scenario that you gave with your story and, and your realization and sending people home and kind of decompressing. So am I assuming in the first example, they just didn't get the time, wasn't created, the system wasn't there in order to metabolize that energy out of their body versus what you've you know, that's, that's a really healthy system. So where I go is if I'm not in that cycle, if I don't have that structure in my life, if I hold it in as a man and it's still compartmentalized and I don't have access to all of my emotions because I'm still compartmentalized, how, how can self-discipline help that individual? Well, we actually formalized it um, in the Coast Guard, we, um, uh, 
we took advantage of, of some of the systems that the academics had developed. Um, and a lot of it was geared toward fire, firemen, paramedics, et cetera. Um, and we used critical incident stress management. And, um, you know, we would send some of our own members off to um, SISM training mm-hmm. and we would do debriefings and defusings um, depending upon the level of the critical incident um, to make sure that our people did stay healthy. Because if you don't take care of your people who are your greatest resource, um, you know, when you, when you need to accomplish a mission, they're not going to be there uh, because they're going to have those kinds of stress induced uh, uh, issues. Mm -hmm. A lot of that, from what I understand too, the critical incident stress uh, debriefings or stress, what was the other one? Sism, the critical incident stress management, management. Management, A lot of that has to do with description of the events. It has to do with talking. Tell me what happened. What were you thinking? How did you feel? And coming back to a plan of like self-care and, and, and really, and, and that's in 30 seconds, that's what I know about that stuff is that it's basically take it out of the compartmentalized place and describe what's happened to you and how you've experienced it. Put some form to it, put some structure and some words and a description to the thing, and then talk about how it affects you emotionally and then let's, you know, bring it back up to the plan now. How do you take care of yourself from here? And so um, I love, that's great. That's great. I didn't know that you did that. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of times, a lot of times the, the individual doesn't even realize it's happening. I just recently, uh, a friend of mine's daughter, um, and she's 18 years old, I think now. Um, she doesn't have her driver's license. She finally got her learner's permit. She's really been hesitant about getting a driver's license. And it wasn't until she was in a, a college psych class, she's in a, a psych class now, that one of the questions that the, the instructor asked, has anyone ever seen a human brain? And she raised her hand. She was the only person in the class that raised her hand. Her parents weren't aware. No one was aware. But the reason that she had seen a human ba- brain is she had witnessed an automobile accident and the person had been severely injured, obviously killed, but she had seen parts of human remains, human brain tissue, you know, on the, on the asphalt. And she had so compartmentalized that, that she didn't talk to anyone about it, but it was keeping her from wanting to be a driver because she had, she had experienced that or seen what the impact of doing the wrong thing in, in a car could, could result in. Wow. That's fascinating. It's interesting where our discussion has gone a little bit tonight, talking about some of the feelings, you know, d- d- discipline really does have a lot to do with behavior and steps and movements and procedures, rituals, but we've talked a lot about, I guess you get two social workers and the father of a social worker. In the room <laughs> and we're going we're to talk about feelings. We're going into feelings here. So that's so important. I mean, when you, and, and the discipline, when you talk about the training in these difficult situations, people are able to perform because of their consistency. So they're handling the emotion when you're on the side of the mountain in the fog, rescuing a, a person in need. You're able to do that because of the, 
continuous training, the uh, consistency, your discipline. And then afterward, we do the self-care and we're knocking off and we're going home for the day and whatever we need to do to process those feelings. I wanted to go to some a couple, some more specific things. We've been kind of talking in generalities, but in our red nine, we talk about the, the, the step of discipline or the characteristic discipline. The idea is that the man lives a life of self-control. And so I want to talk about ways that things that have been helpful for you to master your time, your money, your environment, your mood, your actions, and your results. And maybe we may not even need to talk about results because if we handle all those other things. His life is the result. Yeah, the life is the result. Yes, life is the result. But um, so, and for both of you, but uh, I guess you've lived a little longer than both of us here, Admiral. What has helped you to become the master of your time? And if if any of these you don't feel like you are the master of, of that, that's okay too because you're human. But well, I, well, I don't know. That, I don't know that anyone is ever the master of any of these things. I mean, we're all, you know, we're all just doing the best we can to continue to move forward and to, you know, uh, continuous improvement. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of the nature of, you know, when I when I was, you know, doing total quality management. You know, that's, you know, the whole idea was, you know, if it if it's not broke, you might want to break it and make it better. Um, you know, but the, the whole idea of, you know, of, you know, continually improving a, a process. Uh, when I was thinking about this, cause you know, we, we got a little bit of a heads up of what you might ask us, you know, I, and I, I've already used my big bullet for time and that's, you either have a plan or you're part of somebody else's. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I think it's really important that you have a plan of what you're going to do. You set goals for yourself. Um, you set intermediate, you know, steps or goals in, in order to accomplish that. You know, time management is is a goal. Um, you know, that is, you know, that is how you get things done. You don't, you know, you don't waste, you know, opportunities. And by not wasting opportunities, um, that certainly is is valuable, you know, time. It's like, you know, uh, you know, we three being here tonight, you know, having this discussion, you know, if nothing were ever to, ever to come out of it, it really would just be a waste of time. So I, I find it very valuable. And that's one of the reasons why I was more than willing to come in and, you know, sit here with you guys tonight was, you know, because this will go out and hopefully the, the limited insights that I can provide, you know, can prove beneficial to somebody else down the road. Well, talking about time, you know, the map of your time, I guess, is your calendar or your schedule. I joked earlier about how Admiral Hare was, uh, you know, we tried to get him going. He says, yep, nope, can't do it then. I have, uh, we're uh, cruising to the Bahamas or <laughs> we can't, <laughs> no. we can't do it then. We have, we have this trip planned or, oh no. Uh, and as we looked at dates, we've been working at this for 90 days. We've been trying to do this. And, and then he said, oh, the Pro Bowl. <laughs> and I, Still, that to me is he has a flight plan for his time. He knows what he's doing pretty much on any given day. He knows when he plays golf, when he has dinner with his friends, when he's going on a date with his wife, when the grandkids are in town and what, you know, he, so to be in control, to be the pilot of your time means, I guess that you have a schedule. You're saying be, have a plan or otherwise you're part of someone else's. So I love that you go to your phone and you've, you know, what's going on and you put it there. Maybe, maybe the missus uh, puts things in there too. We, we share a calendar. Yeah, <laughs> okay. We but we share so there's communication, there's yeah. write it down. There's 
compare it to like what is going on if it's just the if if you if there isn't something written down <laughs> i i just i'm feeling the value of use a calendar use a schedule put something in that block of time i bet we could ask you what you're doing on a typical you know any day of the week and there's some structure to it for you 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 work out in the mornings or sure. in the afternoon. Yeah, you I'm got, a morning workout person. Okay, work out in the mornings. You know what days you have your, you've talked about some uh, dinner groups and some friends that you would get together sure. uh, on certain intervals. And you know when those are. And I don't know if these are like Coast Guard friends or people that you know from other parts of your life, but there's a kind of a schedule. Sure. Goes back to college days mm-hmm. you know, at the academy. I believe Coach Dennis is now long since passed away. But he was the uh, the swimming coach at the academy. But one of the things he also did was he taught the diving class. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they teach every scuba diver is plan your dive and dive your plan. Mm. And if you plan your dive and dive your plan, you will never have an issue. But if you don't plan your dive... Or if you don't dive your plan, that's how people get killed. They end up getting the bends, nitrogen nar- narcosis, um, or something you know else happens to them. And so I think that's part of the the scheduling and time management. And you know maybe, you know, coincidentally, I picked that up from Charlie Dennis. God, you know, God rest his soul. Um, you know when I was you know in in his dive you know in his scuba diving class you know fifty years ago. Wow. I'm I'm just learning so much here, you guys. This is this is one of my favorite conversations ever. What about money? Um, <laughs> you know, you're a retired person. You're doing well. You're traveling all over the world. You're you you know some things about money and and just behaviorally. I don't know, uh, Jimmy. Both of you. What? How can a man be in be in charge? Be the master of his money? Oh, go ahead. Admiral. <laughs> well, well, I mentioned Dave Ramsey earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been a Dave Ramsey fan since probably the early nineties. Um, listening, you know, listening to, you know, recordings of his, of his uh, broadcast. I'm a, you know, a, a true believer, mm-hmm. but I'm also a true believer in something. Remember I, I mentioned earlier about the round to it, get around round to, to it. it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, the story that goes behind the round to it is a story that um, was told called the richest man in the richest man in Babylon. And the story of the richest man, man in Babylon is, is if you want to be the richest man in Babylon, remember that a 10th of all you earn is yours to keep. Hmm. You know, now we, you know, we talk about earning things. We talk about tithing to churches for those of us that are, you know, associated with, you know, religious organizations, et cetera. But if you think about a 10th of all you earn, you know, you, you earn a hundred dollars, you take $10, you, you, you put it, put it away, you know, and, and eventually that, you know, whether it be a mutual fund, start off with a savings account, you know, however you want to do it. But if you start off early, and remember that a tenth of all you earn is yours to keep, you will be the richest man in Babylon. Because, you know, as Dave Ramsey likes to say, if you live like no one else, you'll then be able to live like no one else. Right. 
that's a sizable amount. If you think about whoever you are listening to this show, think about what your monthly income is or your annual salary and what you bring home. Imagine what 10% of that would be compounded over the next 30 years of your life. Yeah, <laughs> It's probably going to, you're going to do well for yourself. And I think that's one of those areas. And I'm, this is why this topic, I'm not teaching anything. I'm just asking the questions, but um, I think this is one of the areas where men struggle the, the most is, I don't know, I guess some percentage of guys are, are good with their management of their resources, but um, so many are just blowing th- money on things that are just unnecessary. It's completely just frivolous spending. And it's, um, you know, and then they're in trouble later in life when they really have nothing. I've seen that so many times, even in my own family and friends that I know that um, it's difficult to do, but 10%. Wow. The richest man in Babylon. That's a book. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's a, I don't know whether it's a book or, you know, a pamphlet or a parable, but, but it's out there in publication, the richest man in Babylon and uh, a 10th of all you earn is yours to keep. How about you, Jimmy thoughts on being a master of money? Uh, You're, Making yeah. it, you're making it big time in the world of uh, <laughs> a social workers. A social workers are rolling in the dough. I tell you that. Uh, Self discipline means I pay myself first. Um, you know, I part of what fueled my addiction for a decade was I just had the financial wherewithal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I. I blew through that um, and then stole uh, to support my habit. And um, the financial, so it's it's the same thing, right? I think, Brad, like whether it's finances or emotions or psychological, physical, emotional, mental, intellectual, um, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. And so... I think across the board, at least for me, um, it's that asking for help piece, admitting that it, that this is a weakness that I actually, to ask another man, you know, mm-hmm. um, can you help me with this leveling of my ego and my pride? Um, and so I know through recovery and working those steps and having a discipline through that process that, A, it's, okay, it's always okay for me to take a self-assessment and just take an inventory and not from a right or wrong, good or bad or shame or anything other than this, this is what is, is. And, um, I needed and wanted to learn more about my finances this year. And so I just got done taking a four week course with my wife to help restructure and just kind of clarify. And, um, I don't have any emotion today, you know, as a 54 year old man asking for help. Um, but my 30 year old self would have never, I got a I'll figure it out. I'm too much pride and ego. Yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna ego pride and and it 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 works so much better for me whenever I'm willing just to kind of humble myself and ask for help. You mentioned vulnerability. We talked about courage before, and nowadays our the generations our age, I guess, and younger are it's easier for men to talk about their situations, their feelings. I do some men's groups. I have four men's groups and uh, people told me that I was dumb to start that because men won't talk. Well, yes, they will. But when I think about exposure and vulnerability and stuff like that, I picture 
one of these days, maybe I'm going to do this in my groups or, or, or guys who need this kind of thing in particular to say, pull up your, uh, pull up your bank statement, bring in, you want to, you want to grow, show what you're doing. You, you want to be better. You know, you want to lose weight. Well, get on the scale and show it to your trainer. You, mm-hmm. you want, you want to do better financially. You're not making ends meet. You still live with your mom and dad. And you're 40 years old. Let's look at what you do with what you do have. And boy, I think that would be, I think a man would rather stand naked in front of other men than he would to show his, show his financial situation. But I love what we're talking about is you have to be willing to, whether it's Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman or whoever the hell, I mean, there's a a million Mm -hmm. programs, but attach yourself to some wisdom somewhere and let people into your situation. Um, I was at a place after my divorce, I was at a point where I was a single dad. I was working two jobs. Uh, I had my, my kids uh, five days a week. I couldn't pay my electric bill. And so I went to my, I went to my church and I said, Hey, uh, I'm in a bad situation. I can't pay my electric bill. Um, is, you know, I've paid tithes my whole life. And is there something that I, is there some help I could get? And they said, well, sure. Let's just go over your budget. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what you're spending your money on. And so it was a very humbling process, but it was the most, one of the most important things that I've ever done is to say, here's my last 30 days, you know, my bank, this is my bank record from the last 30 days. And um, this person was actually happened to be worked in accounting and they helped me see where I was really making some dumb decisions with, with my money. Let's talk about environment. Um, I picture that both of your homes are, I can just tell, I don't know how I know this, but that they're beautifully maintained. Your vehicles are clean. What is the importance of maintaining being the master of your environment, which to me means your stuff. Talk about discipline and the power of maintaining your environment. What is a, uh, what is the deck of a uh, cutter look like? Oh, very squared away. Yeah, squared <laughs> yeah. away. You know, and it, and this goes. If you want to change the world, make your bed. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you know that kind of a thing. But you know, when I was thinking environment, I, I was kind of thinking a little something a little bit different. Okay, and and maybe environment. Yeah, maybe it's you know not the physical environment, but you know I was thinking that more of the environment of association. Oh. And okay, the app, like friendships and things. Well, or? well, you know, and if you go back and you look at a lot of the studies and things, people will tend to turn out to be like the people with whom they associate. Mm. So if you want to be successful in business, associate with people who are successful in business. If you want to be sober, Better know some sober folks. Yeah, right? no, you know, associate with right. sober folks. Don't associate with people that are, you know, going to the bar every day. Dr- mm-hmm. Drug addiction's the same way. It applies in sports, relationships, just about anything. You know, that you will turn out to be like the people that you associate with. So when you were talking about leveling up, level up your friends. Mm-hmm. That's great. I, that. I never even, so I, I, I wrote this red nine of two or three years ago <laughs> and just thought about the, the, to be the master of your environment. And to me, it was the physical, I, pff, 
We just we just leveled uh, Admiral here leveled me up right now to help me understand that this is about the energy that you allow into your circle and the and the people the influences uh, that's that's amazing. Um, yes, that Re- matters. Yeah, remove obstacles, you know. Remove yeah. the temptations. So I yeah I appreciate that because I I go to what is my environment. You know I do I work with people that hear voices. And there's a 15 to 20% of the general population of people hear voices. And most of us work in concert with our voice. The research is only 1% to 2% come in contact with psychiatric intervention. Now, whether you call that voice conscience or God or spirit or, you know, whatever label you want to use, I just know that unless I have a series of actions and I'm have the discipline to think about my intellect, my spiritualness, my emotional, like those environments as well. When I'm not disciplined, it's because there's a lot of static and noise upstairs. The committee in my head is really loud. Mm-hmm. And so the, what discipline do I have to, to address that? So in environments, I think of all that intellectual, mental, spiritual, emotional, and my physical you're blowing my mind on this because I, I literally, maybe I just don't understand the English language, but <laughs> what I pictured for me environment was your stuff. You know, if you're driving around in your vehicle and there's 16, you know, cheeseburger wrappers and you can't, you know, you, you, you get your clothes are stained up every time you get in your own vehicle or your home is so chaotic that you can't ever find anything. That's what I thought of about environment, but I think it's so much more than just the the deck is clean and the and everything is squared away. That's a term. That's a that's yep. important term. Do you really do they really say that? Absolutely. Squared, up. squared away means squared squared away means uh there's a place for everything and everything's in its place. Okay. So everything can be <laughs> squared away including our our environment, the atmosphere that we allow, the atmos- the places we go, people, places, and things. Right, Jimmy? Yep. Very cool. I mean, and w- again, I fall back into what is the, what process, what steps, what's the structure, right? And if I'm, for me, it's not about having a balance in all those areas. It's creating harmony, right? I'm not going to be, I'm not perfect, in all those areas, but I have a process as part of my self-discipline to take an inventory of all those areas that we just talked about. Where are my strengths? Where are my weaknesses? Where do I need to level up? How can I apply what I'm currently doing, that, those transferable skills, into other areas where I feel like I do need to level up? But that takes having a plan, right, and having daily habits and creating a act- series of actions regardless of how I feel. Like it, it's all connected, that's something that I was fascinated by when I got into AA was the, some of the ritual, you know, like mm-hmm. the, um, on awakening is one of the little readings. It's about a half a page or a paragraph or two about on awakening you go through and you kind of have this little prayer and then, and then upon retiring, you go through this, these steps. Have I, you know, harmed anyone? Have I said things that I regret? Do I need to, you know, have I hurt someone or whatever? So there is in all of, from everything from military operations to the the alcoholic who's trying to get his life in order, discipline is a core issue here. Just one more, maybe two more here, things I want to talk about. 
what about mood? We could probably have a whole show on how to master your mood. But I'm curious, maybe specifically you here, Admiral, about, gosh, I guess you've probably gone through all kinds of things. I mean, you've moved around the country. 19 times. 19 times you've moved. You've had, you've got children, grandchildren. You've been married for how many years? Uh, 41. 41 years. It'll be 42 this summer. You're one of, what, a couple dozen of these, uh, um, uh, rear admirals, you know, your, 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 your role is your high level leader. How in the world does a man master his mood? Well, I, I kind of combined, you know, when, when we talked about time, money, environment, the, the other three were mood actions and results. Okay. And I kind of combined them when I, when I was thinking about them. Okay. And, and mood and the, actions and results. Yeah. Mood okay. actions and results. And, and the first thing I, I thought about is I've always tried to live by the axiom of what some people commonly call the serenity prayer. Oh yes. You know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Yes, sir. You know, and I found that for me, that kind of gives me inner peace because you know, there, there, there's going to be some things you just can't change. And you, you then have to make a decision either to move on or to accept things the way they are um, because you're never going to be out. You know, it, it's outside of your ability to control. It might be because of a higher power. It might be because of the environment, whatever it might be. But also along that line, you know, that the last piece of it, the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've been a very strong proponent of in talking with my subordinates um, throughout the years, and I was in the military. I was in uniform for 39 years on active duty for 35. And during, during that period of time, the difference between knowledge and wisdom, mm-hmm. the wisdom to know the difference. And the way I think about it is knowledge is what you get from going to school, reading a book, and living your life and making mistakes, you know, and learning from, you know, the school of hard knocks, so to speak. Wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes. Mm. And I want people to be wise. I don't want them to have to duplicate those, you know, those same lessons that somebody else has already experienced. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think, you know, the Alpha Quorum and these podcasts are so important to, to guys out there is because it gives them an opportunity, whether it be for me or Jimmy or you or any of your other guests, to garner that wisdom so that they don't have, then have to go out and make those same mistakes in order to get the knowledge. Wow. That's great. So mood, actions, results, you're seeing those as connected. It has to do with what you can control, what you don't control. I think I would say for sure for me, mood, and and I guess actions often follow feelings. For me, I, as I work with people in like mental health, I see two things get in the, in the way of mood. Sometimes mood is affected by physiology. You know, if you're hungry, I love the Snickers commercial. Remember those? <laughs> you're not, you have get hangry. It could be, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta take a dump and, or you, you're hungry. Sometimes it's physiological, but sometimes it's a matter of what you expect, what you're demanding of the world and of people and of yourself. 
And then after the thing happens, after the triggering occurs, it's how you interpret what happens. What does this mean about me? And what does this say about this person or our relationship that gets into trouble? Jimmy mood. How do you, how does a man master his mood and maybe actions and results? Yeah, I mean, I like, I appreciate what both of you said. I, I love the serenity prayer. It, it, there's also some inherent things that are built into that, right? A, that I have a higher power, some faith, something I'd lean into in the absence of factual, intellectual information. Um, and that's a, that takes work. You know, having spirituality, I need to define what spirituality is for me. And Brad needs to define what spirituality is for Brad. And the Admiral needs to define what spirituality is for him. And I'm of the school that I don't think anyone should tell anyone what spirituality is, how it's connected to, how one gets disconnected, and how one gets reconnected. That's your work. That's the man's work. We can guide and we can coach and we can counsel. We can get curious and ask questions and explore and mentor and all those wonderful things, which is why the three of us are here tonight. And so in that mood, in hitting the pause button, you know, in the self-evaluation of how I'm feeling, having body awareness, sensations, noticing feelings, being able to identify, like there's a lot of information just in that construct of you know finding a series of actions and or god grant me the serenity and so all of those things take self-discipline all of those things need to be seen brought into awareness understood written down inventoried of like what does an individual what do you as a man want in your life and finding those actions you know the I love what the Admiral said as far as determination, compassion, honor, courage, and repetition. You know, for me, that's living in steps 10, 11, and 12. Continue to take a personal inventory when I'm wrong, promptly admit it. That encapsulates determination and having compassion, right? The mm -hmm. empathy piece. Mm -hmm. Step 11, continue to improve my conscious contact with God through prayer and meditation, seeking for his will and the knowledge to carry that out. That takes honor. It takes courage. It takes determination, you know, and then and repetition <laughs> and repetition. Absolutely. And, and then step 12, having had a spiritual awakening, right? That's the gift. That's the promise. And, and I would even frame it with discipline. That's, that is the promise. That's what you're hearing from us tonight is, Finding those series of actions, finding what makes you tick, what gets you up, and being dedicated to that, the promise is you'll have the spiritual awakening. You'll realize the goal. You'll overcome the task. You'll get to the top of the mountain. As a result of the self-discipline, in this case, these 12 steps, and then the second part, and share this message with others, right? And I think that's where, Admiral, I just appreciate a one, you as a man, um, who's willing and knows his emotions and can articulate your feelings and structured in the military and being of service to our country and protecting, um, I stand on your shoulders, you know, as a, as a younger man, as someone else who wants to teach men is committed to that. Um, thank you. 
like it's it it's refreshing like it it brings me hope right it in and to see you dedicated and to come down and share your experience and how you connect the dots um what a gift yeah what a gift so thank you well, I, I appreciate that, and I, I'm a firm believer that we stand on the shoulders of those who've come before us, and I think it's very, very important for for guys who have lived their lives or a portion of their lives, you know, to share those experiences so that, you know, other people can be wise too. So I have a question for you. If you could write a letter to yourself 30 years younger, so you have, you know, you're 60 you have all this wisdom and knowledge. And if you could write or tell yourself, you know, what you've learned over the last 30, at the age of 30, it would be what? Um, probably relationships. Because remember, I was in the military in uniform for 39 years. And one of the big things about the military is there's a, a hierarchy and there's orders and there's, tactic there's you know there's doctrine there's tactics techniques procedures you know etc cetera, etc cetera. that doesn't apply when you're outside the military so from a relationship standpoint it's real important that you know how to separate yourself from the military work environment and you know the relationship environment you know outside of the military that that's the biggest thing that that I've learned, you know, in the seven years that I've been retired is that, you know, there's 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 a difference, and you know anybody who's ever come home who's who's in a relationship and tried to direct their significant pull, other pull to, rank. Yeah, yeah, you you know, rank to, to, to do something will quickly learn that doesn't work. <laughs> Mrs. Mailing probably has some stories yeah, for us on that stuff. One. I remember Taco Mike talking about that at one time that, you know, work is always, most work situations are pretty binary. I think probably with the military stuff, it's, it is a yes or no on or off black and white. That's it. And there's no structure and order and I'm above you and you're beneath me. And, and this is the, the order of operations and that doesn't there's work. no questioning yeah and that and that you can't it can't operate that way when you're talking about your children or your you know your wife your significant other that's great that you've um you pointed that out because so much of this we're we're it's a tough discipline we're talking about toughness in a way and jimmy said what would you do 30 years you know how, what would you talk about and you're you're really talking about tenderness so you got to be tough the when you're com piece. commanding a ship, when you're commanding an operation, it's international stuff going on and you are at home. <clears throat> you can't be tough that way. You, it's not the same kind of tough. And the tenderness maybe is what I'm kind of hearing you say. Yeah. Well, even, and, and even at work, you know, even, even in a military structure, it is absolutely incumbent on the senior to to solicit feedback and comment from the subordinate mm. because if you know, the best, the best leaders will do that. Um, you know, and another adage I like to use a lot is if everybody's thinking the same thing, somebody's not thinking, <laughs> um, you know, you get into that group think kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's very easy to get there 
if you're in that insulated environment where everybody, you know, oh, yes, sir, oh, yes, ma'am, whatever it might be in the, in the structure, because they're afraid to give feedback um, or, you know, someone's not willing to say, you know, yeah, that idea is really stupid. This stinks, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a really dumb idea. But, you know, you, you do that in a, in a collaborative way. But also in the military, you realize that, okay, and I used to tell this to my, to my folks all the time, if you give me good information, I'll give you a good decision. If you give me a bad information, I'll give you a bad decision. But if a decision needs to be made because of the exigent circumstances of the time, I will give you a decision. Because that's the worst thing you can do is leave people just out there hanging. So I want to wrap this up, but I've, I guess I have one one last question. And as I, I've worked on my style here, I guess, in 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 like hosting these shows, what what I want to do is look at the opposite side of things at the end, and what is the side effect? What are some problems that come with being highly disciplined? So maybe there's a man who wants to get himself to the gym and get his structure and get his life in order and manage his money and budget everything and and, and, and handle his business and get be squared away in every aspect, even spirituality. That was fascinating, by the way, when you said, Jimmy, when you said spirituality requires work, you can't just mm-hmm. be a hippie and feel good. You got to do some things. Well, that can, that can be part of it. Jimmy's the hippie in the room. <laughs> but, but all this takes work. What are the side effects? What are the, what are the dangers of being too structured, too, too rigid, from my perspective, I think if you're too structured and too rigid and not willing to accept feedback and input, you miss opportunities. Uh, and that certainly applies in business. It absolutely applies when you're talking about money. Um, in in the military, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's, uh, if if you develop a battle plan, you know, there's the plan. And then there's what they call branches and sequels to the plan. You know, all these branches that come off and, you know, these sequel and, and the, the folks will tell you that, you know, in a, in a combat situation, all plans are valid until the first shot's fired, mm. you know, and then, it, you know, they kind of, the, the original plan a lot of times will go out the window and you're already into branches and sequels. So you have to be disciplined. Yes, but you have to be flexible at the same time as well. Be able to pivot and change direction, exactly. change your change the the course of where wherever you're headed maybe that needs to change some i really appreciate you being here i just this has been fascinating and we i've enjoyed it you know i just we we want to increase the quality of our of our guests and you know you're pretty much up there you're helping us level up just your expertise your experience your maturity what you've taught here and i love when you mention this as an opportunity for men to learn from learn wisdom from others to hear what some things that work and that don't work appreciate you being here jimmy any thank last you, words yeah no Thanks just, for writing. yeah just to thank you uh it's been a pleasure um i really appreciate you know what i kind of said earlier so yeah thank, thank you. you appreciate it all right you guys until next time no excuses alpha Gentlemen, you are the Alpha, and this is the Alpha Quorum.